All right, good morning, you guys. Yeah, good morning. Some people are awake. Good morning, room one. Yes, all right, room two, how are you guys? Yeah, high school ministry right here. Feel you guys. Yes, woo. Yes. All right. Just kidding. And, and I just want to point something out. If you are trying to locate the best looking, most talented, gifted people in the room, they sit in these rows up in the front. I just want to let you know right now. They're right here. Every day, I just want you to know, I pray God's blessing showers upon them. And for those of you who sit in the folding chair, they're like theater chairs, nothing for you. Nothing. Just I, nothing. These guys, the coffee tastes better. They're more tan. They're better looking. Their kids are more well-behaved. Just, that's just kind of the way it goes. But so you're welcome to join them if you want those things in your life. If you don't, sorrow and suffering for you. Okay. Um, really glad that you guys are here. Um, we're doing a series called Love Where You Live. We've seen some great things already. Um, some of you walked in and saw the map. Amazing how many people are fascinated by where everybody lives. And amazing how many of you live outside of the scope of that map and let me know about it. <laughs> that you were really bummed about it. Sorry about that. We had to cut it off somewhere. Uh, but I just want to let you guys know, very fun to see where everybody's kind of living, where they're loving where they live. And I um, just want to let you guys know a couple things. In the spirit of loving where we live, uh, to, like last, last week we had a great leader gathering, some great stuff. We talked about sort of the overarching vision for the church, which this year is uh, Unleash the Impossible. And one of the ways that the impossible gets unleashed in our communities is when we do some stuff that is for the community. You've heard us say, if you've been with us before, that we are a church that's in the community for the community. And um, this Harvest Carnival next Friday is one of the ways we do that. Uh, Viejo Elementary School is a school that we have partnered with. It is a mile and a half from here. And we've said, there's some things that they've asked us to kind of help them be a part of and just said, hey, look, could you, would you want to help us do And we were like, yes, because we believe in being a part of the community. And so about a thousand of you are with us at Serve Day. We had a great time being out there and putting up a garden and pulling weeds and, you know, things you never would say would be a good time at your own house were like really fun to do together. So we're going to be back there again this Friday. We're going to celebrate with them, see all that's been happening. If you haven't been back there since Serve Day, you can see some of the completed work. And uh, we're going to have our band. You heard that before. I didn't know we had food trucks. My impression, we were just talking to the front. I think it's like it might be an actual food truck. My guess is it's probably a guy serving dirty Subway sandwiches out of the back of his pickup truck. But it's a food truck. No, I'm just kidding. It'll be awesome. There'll be tons of candy. There'll be great rides. High school ministry has committed, committed oh, yeah. to making a hay maze. Yeah. It has been said in front of all these people, Jordan, the high school pastor, it will happen and these guys will help you do it. It's going to be awesome. So great event. Bring your kids. Bring your neighbors. It'll be so, so, so very much fun. So make sure you do that. Um, Looking forward to talking about the series as we get into the week two. It is uh, Love Where You Live week two. Now let me tell you, um, as we've been talking about the series, had great response from people. Some of the stuff you saw online, there's people that are uh, figuring out more and more creative ways to ho- hold that pin over their head or whatever, wherever they might be. So I don't know how you're going to top the wedding. You're going to have to be in like a delivery room of a ba- like next to your brand new newborn like... <laughs> See right here. So wherever it is, you got to figure out a way to top what we just saw. But it's been so fun to see what people are doing because what we're realizing is that loving where we live isn't just an advertising ploy to get us to live somewhere else, to look at our own lives and go, well, you know, there's probably a better place I could live. What we're looking at is the idea of loving where we live actually means putting love into practice to unleashing a kind of loving person that God has placed wherever you might be on purpose, that God has placed you wherever you are on purpose, for his purpose, for a reason. We looked last week at a guy named Abram, who later becomes Abraham. This is a guy who is the founder of a brand new tribe of people, whose intention wasn't simply to take care of themselves, to kind of be an inward-looking club, but if you were to call them a club of any kind of people, what you would say is this is a club whose benefits of membership are directly for people who are non-members. 
that God said, hey, here you go. You're going to be blessed. You are blessed, Abraham, to be a blessing. And so that's what we looked at last week. What does it look like for us to be in a place such that we recognize God has blessed us and uniquely placed us, that people who we don't even know might be blessed? So it's been very, very cool. Stories have been great. People have been talking to me and um, telling me what they've been doing. It's very, very cool. So we're going to continue on in that series today. While we do that, before we do that, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump right into it, all right? So let's pray. Father, we are, a, we are a grateful people for how you have welcomed us. That you welcome us into your presence. You welcome us to be people who are loved by you. And while we might get messages, whether it's from our school or from our friends or from our boss or from our work or from our neighbors or from our family history or the media or whatever else it might be that says we are not welcome, you say, you're welcome here. And I love you. And I'm glad that you're here. Jesus, we know that church is a place of celebration and joy. That it's a place where we get to celebrate all of what you have done for us and are continuing to do for us. And yet we know in the midst of celebration, there is still hurt and there's loneliness. There's brokenness in this room. And we've all been there. Jesus, today, would you help us to know what it really feels like to know and to experience your welcome embrace. But might that be so real to us in however way that you do that. So Jesus, as we as we do from, from time to time and, you know, sort of our custom is to sort of spend a moment just in stillness and in silence to allow you to speak to us, however it is that you might do. And so, Jesus, we give you a few moments. Would you speak to us about how much you love us and how we're welcome to be here with you today? Father, we know the coldness of isolation and loneliness. And we know the celebration of being invited and included and welcomed. And might that be the, our, our experience today of profound welcome and joy that we find here today. So Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the theme verses for our series over the course of this whole series has been this idea that God's placed us for a purpose. It comes out of Jeremiah 29, 7, which says this. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city into which I've carried you into exile, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, what that means is you've been placed in a particular, wherever you might live, neighborhood or whatever, so that it might prosper. And it's been, just to hear you, just to hear you guys talk about it, it's been so fun to hear you guys talk about what that means. So I want to push that a little further as we do that. In your outline, which is now, I mean, in your bulletin, which is now just a sheet of paper, I realize, uh, as you just tore it off and handed it all in, um, there is an outline. If you want to pull that out, we're going to take a look at some stuff about all of what it means to live in a city to make it prosper in a kind of a unique way. So you can pull out your, your outline and follow along. If you want to follow along on the screen, great. Um, you can do that. If you just want to look on your, your Bible, you brought one, or you want to um, follow along on some kind of device, whatever you might have brought. We'll be mostly in Luke chapter 14. You can take a look there, and we'll, we'll just jump in. Um, let me ask you, as you're getting situated and stuff like that, this is a time where I want you to actually talk back to me. I realize sometimes I ask you questions, and I don't, and then it throws me off. I actually do want you to say something back to me, which is this. So think about it for a second, okay? And then I want you to answer this question. What do all great parties need? Food. Almost always, everyone, the first thing people say is food. Food. Okay, food. What kind of food? Food trucks. Yeah, a dirty Subway sandwich out of the back of someone's truck. Okay, good. What else? Okay, wait. What kind of food, though? Just other kind of foods? In and out. So the in and out truck shows up at your party. That's a party. Okay, good. What else? Okay, keep going. What's that? Did someone say kids? Oh, chips. How, just out of curiosity, how many of you guys say, kids make a great party? Yes. Yep. 
three, four, five people thought that. Everyone else is like, oh, right, there's kids here. There better be an in and out truck here. We're out of here right now. Okay, good. What else? What else do you need to make? What makes a great party? Music. What kind of music? Rock. Good, good music. The best polka band ever. That's what we got. They rip. They're huge in Poland. Okay, what else? People. What kind of people? The ones you like because you can't have a party. You're like, oh my gosh, we have the In-N-Out truck and the polka bands here and chips and no kids. And then there's a bunch of axe murderers. Eh, it's it's pretty, still a pretty good party. Yeah, you got to have people that you like. What else? Jeff McGuire makes a party. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Most of the time, if I showed up at some, most of the parties you guys were at, you'd be like, ah, did, did anyone invite the pastor? Why did we invite the pastor here? I get it. Okay, what else? What? Drinks. Drinks. Yeah, beverages. <laughs> Soft drinks. Water, Gatorade. That's it. Okay, good. What else? <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, I thought you said generations. I'm like, wow, that's so embracing of you. <laughs> Just all the generations, church person. But you know what? That's a great answer. You're sitting in the front row. That's the right answer. Whatever you say is the right answer. She said decorations. What kind of decorations? Brightly colored. Brightly colored. As long as there's a streamer and the band and the axe murderers, we're all set. Good. And Jeff McGuire, obviously. Okay, good. What else? Anything else? Paper plates, because I don't want to have to clean up after this party. I want to throw everything away. Sorry, environment. We're just throwing everything away, right? Yes, we all do that. Okay. Anything else you guys can think of? A theme. Okay, what's the theme? Go. You're on the spot. Super Bowl theme. It doesn't matter what time of year it is. We're having a Super Bowl party. Let's see. It's almost November. Super Bowl. Okay, good. Come with any jersey with a team with a winning record, and we might have a chance. Okay, good. Any other thoughts you guys got about what makes a great party? Barbies. <laughs> Barbies. Barbecue. I'm assuming you meant the Australian version of a barbecue. Great. Good. There's all kinds of things we know that make a great party. But there's one question everybody asks the moment they get invited. It's one question, and we all know what it is. What is it? What? Who's going to be there? Because it doesn't matter if we have the in and out truck and we have chips, or we have the polka band, or we have great music, or whatever else it is, if there's a bunch of lame people there, it doesn't matter. We're like, oh, wow, cool. You ever seen the, inv- like the Evite invite, where it has like all those people and their kind of decision about whether or not they're going to come to maybes and the yeses and the noes, and you're kind of like, ooh, everyone's a maybe here. And then you have to wonder about yourself. If I click on the I'm a yes, I'm going to be there, am I going to tip the scales for everybody to come? Or is there going to be a wave of people that go, oh, no, dude, that guy's coming. <laughs> Boop, and all this, everybody just, ah, I have, uh, I have to get my nails done or whatever it is. Like, there's just some reason why you might be the person that shifts it the other way. But we all ask the question, who's going to be there? Because that makes the party. That's the question we go, is this really going to make my, is, this going to, is it going to be worth my time to go to this dumb party? Unless there's, there better be awesome people there or else it's not worth my time. Now, what I want to, I want to throw out to you is, What if there's another way, because we all know how everything we just said is the way that you throw a great party. You have the great Super Bowl theme and the decorations and generations of people there, or whatever else that you've got. We have all those things, but I want you to consider, maybe there's another way we ought to consider what a party looks like. And maybe there's something that we're missing, even if we include all those things that almost all of us neglect, at least I do. 
So what I want to do is I want to take a look at what Jesus kind of does being invited to a party, and you can kind of see how he kind of unwinds and redefines the notion of a party altogether. So here's what happens. It's in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. One Sabbath. Now, anytime you see the word Sabbath, and it's like connected with Jesus, and throughout his life and ministry, anytime Jesus is connected with the word Sabbath, almost always he's challenging what the assumptions are about Sabbath. Sabbath is where there's no work done. Um, this is where people are, it's a day set aside for God, for his purposes. It's a day of holy and sacred rest. So whenever Jesus is doing stuff, we see Jesus, one Sabbath, Jesus, you get this idea right here. There is a moment in which Jesus is going to challenge the notion of what Sabbath means for his audience. Now it says this, one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now what you have to understand is, the people who got asked the questions during his time, during the life and life and ministry of Jesus, were these people called the Pharisees. They were understood to be the most righteous people. These are people who fall. There's 613 laws in the Hebrew Bible explaining how to live and how to obey God's law. There's 613. They added thousands more so that they might not accidentally like commit one of those sins. Does that make sense? So they're, they are the most righteous people and people always come to them and ask, can I do these kinds of things? Is it okay to do certain stuff on the Sabbath? Now Jesus is being invited to the house of a prominent Pharisee. So it's a party. Jesus is being included at this particular party and here's what happens. So verse two. They're in front of him. So they're walking to the party. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Uh, some translations of the Bible, if you have an older translation, it'll say the word dropsy. It just means that there's a swelling, you know, of, of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, that's a weird question. Okay, you have to understand, we, the people who are hearing Jesus say this aren't people who are from 21st century, you know, America, looking back at a person named Jesus of Nazareth. Because whether or not you believe in Jesus, whether or not you're certain he is who he says he is, you have some understanding that this is a person who traveled around the ancient Near East in the first century, who talked about something called the kingdom of God, preaching and teaching, and was alleged to have somehow been a part of miracle working in some capacity. Whether or not you believe that, you know that's the case about this person, Jesus. These people who he's having this conversation with aren't necessarily sure that's the deal about this guy, Jesus, yet. So he turns and asks them a question they never get asked on a Sabbath. I mean, people ask them, hey, can I do like a little bit of farming or can I do a little bit of like cleaning up of the house or can I do something? Now, for Jesus, he never gets asked. I mean, for, he, for these Pharisees never get asked this kind of question. And he says, hey, guys, any problem with healing on the Sabbath? Uh, we, we don't get asked that question. I don't, uh, I don't know, you know. So then here's what happens. But they remain silent. They don't have an answer for him. So, take, so uh, taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Now, they don't have an answer for Jesus. Then he asked them, check this out. If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Or him or her, I thought it's kind of funny. My child fell in, get it. Uh, but you know, that, that's funny. But there's this weird scenario because what he's saying is, all of you know the answer. If your child falls into a well or falls into a ditch, you don't immediately go, oh, I'm sorry. It's the Sabbath. <laughs> I would save you, but I'll be back tomorrow. You know, here's a blanket. I don't know, are we allowed to throw blankets to our freezing children in the ditch? I mean, like, you know, there's kind of like, they, of course they're all going to say that it's okay to do that, but they don't know what to say because they're trapped. Because now all of a sudden is if they help someone, is that actually work, which you're not supposed to do? If they don't help them, they're kind of a cruel person. So what's the answer? Do we help someone or don't we? And so he asks them, 
Do you help a person, your own child, or pull an ox out of a well if they fall in? They don't have an answer. Now, what Jesus is provoking, in these people, he's provoking something. What he's calling into question as he's going to this party, the house of a prominent Pharisee, this is a highly respected person in the community, and all of his group of followers, however many people were there, whatever that is, he's provoking a question in them, which is this. It's kind of a test of the mercy and compassion of his hosts. What kind of people are you? Now, at this point, the jury's still out about whether or not it was a good idea to invite Jesus to the party. Like, great, who invited Jesus? This is, so far, this is a really fun idea. It's almost as fun as inviting Jeff to the party, because this is, like, lame. I mean, so far, this is getting so lame. They're not, not sure how much of a good idea this was, because so far, everybody's feeling really awkward, right? So then, it says this, right there. Jesus walks into the party. It says this, when he, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them a parable. Now, I'll just stop right there. Jesus walks in. He notices everybody kind of takes seats at the table. In the ancient Near East, particularly the time of Jesus, you have this, um, and still goes on today, but to a different degree, but you have seats of honor. So if you can ima- imagine in your head, if you've ever played the game, uh, Hangman, you know, like the spelling game. You guys ever played Hangman? Of course, you have been waiting for Coco's too long for your food to get there, and you draw Hangman for your kid on the napkin. Yeah, okay, Hangman. Now imagine that. So you can just imagine that shape. There's a table kind of going vertically, as you imagine. That table is called the, the emo or the imo. On the top, there's a table called the medio. And then the other side is a table called the summa. Now, the best seat, the seat of the highest honor, goes to the middle seat of the medio table, the medio medio. Are you with me? That's where the seat of the, the guest of honor would sit, the person of the most social importance with the highest social rank. And everybody else sits in descending order away from that person. Are you with me? Now, this is why you get people, in a lot of ways, this is why you get the disciples so often saying to Jesus, hey, when you come to your, like, come into your kingdom, can I sit at the, at the, like, on the left and the right side of you? Because what they're saying is, I want to be the person who's the next most important person. Now, Jesus is observing these guys go into this house for this party, and he's watching them jockey for position about where they're supposed to sit next to the place, next in the place of honor. And he start, he, so he has this line. He basically says, he's observing this, and he basically says this, in, not quite in these terms. He says, it's like, you know, when you're at Chuck E. Cheese, which they still have Chuck E. Cheese, right? Wasn't there a shooting at one, like, yesterday or something? Like, yeah, what's up? Chuck E. Cheese is horrible. I, sorry if you're working Chuck E. Cheese. If, you're, if your name's Chuck, I'm sorry, okay? But I just want you to know, he basically says, you guys ever had this scenario where you've been at a birthday party, you watch your own kids, your niece, or your nephew, your cousin, or someone you know, and you, you see at the birthday party, everybody's jockeying for a position to sit next to the birthday boy, right? And you sit there, and you, you, the worst case scenario is you sit next to the birthday boy, and you're like, yes, I'm kind of the best friend, so I sit here. This is kind of my spot. I know. Other friends you know, whatever. You sit next to the birthday boy, and the worst thing that could ever happen is if you get bumped. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, you know, I saw the gift you gave me, and while I appreciate uh, the water guns, uh, my good buddy over here, come on over here, he actually gave me uh, some G.I. Joe characters that are just really epic. So he's going to sit here now, and you can just scoot over a little bit. New best friend. How horrible would that be, right? But you know that's what happens. It's like, who gets to sit right there? Who does the guest of honor give the, like, moment to sit next to them during to eat the world's worst pizza with a dirty mouse from 1978 that walks around and shakes your hand and you know like that all of that stuff that's what you want to have now jesus says it this way when someone invites you to a wedding feast do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you 
may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come out and say to you, give this person your seat. Same scenario, right? Hey, this is a great wedding feast. This is so cool. Actually, you don't need this. I'm sorry. I didn't mean this. I, I was, how awkward for me, right? Jesus is saying the same thing. What he's calling into question, what he's provoking once again with his own host. Remember, again, they're like, wow, this is a really killer idea to invite Jesus to our party. So far, it just keeps getting better and better. But what he says is, there's something about your ego that is tied to where you sit. And you're going to have a hard time in this new definition of what it means to party if you keep holding on to this. Some of you had your seats moved. You used to sit in the very, very, very back. We moved you forward. There were some ropes there. And there were some, like, not sure what we're going to do. Let me just say, you, you got upgraded. You know, people who were in front of you, they got bumped. That's all I'm saying. So you got moved. You got upgraded to the birthday boy. It's my birthday. No, it's not. Just kidding. But you got moved forward. It's the same thing. Now, Jesus is saying you don't want to be a person who gets bumped because you chose to sit somewhere you shouldn't have sat. He's saying there's something about you guys that wants to have more credit at this party, who wants to have something given to them, who wants to be known as something great by the way you sit. That's going to be a problem. Continuing on. Now, so Jesus is in this situation. Now he gives instruction to his people. Like, to these guys, not these people, but to the people at this house. These super important people, everyone looks up to them, and he says, here's how to throw a party. Then Jesus said to his host, hey, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, who are all sitting around the table, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you will be repaid. In other words, what he's saying is, Don't invite these people who are really good people who can pay you back. There's an expectation in the ancient Near East if you go to someone's house for a party that you would reciprocate. If you can't reciprocate because the party is so lavish, then you probably shouldn't come. Jesus says, don't host people who will try to repay you. He says something different. In fact, here's what he says. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Basically saying, there's a kingdom feast. When you invite people that can't repay you, I'm going to take care of repaying you. Now here's where I think we get tripped up. I think for most of us, we have a belief that we don't invite anybody to our parties about whom we expect anything from. Like we believe that. We're pretty aware of that. Like, you know, I don't invite people to my house so they, they repay me. But there's a little bit of reciprocity. There's a little bit of give and take that you get back from people that you invite. In fact, if they don't repay you in some small way, you feel a little bit slighted. Like, hey, I had that person come to my house. What's the next time they're going to have me over? Or they came over, but they didn't bring anything. Or they volunteered to bring stuff, and they only brought napkins or paper plates. You know, like, <laughs> would have been much more fun if they actually bought the, brought the In-N-Out truck, because that's way more fun. But they didn't bring the In-N-Out truck. They just brought napkins. Thanks for coming. And we kind of go, well, that's not really cool. Or how many of us have ever taken someone else's kid? We're the, we're the carpool person for their kid. And we know because whatever practice it is that we're doing, whether it's band rehearsal or dance or gym or whatever else it is, we take our kids and their kids after practice and it's dinner time and we buy them dinner and they never, get, they never do that for, hey, we brought them home starving and hungry. Sorry, just didn't have time. Like we just go, wait, what's up with that? We, you, we get your kid food. Why don't you get my kid food? That's But maybe there's another layer too, which is kind of an emotional or relational reciprocity that says, hey, I'm going out on a limb and inviting you to be a part of my house. And how come we're not not connecting here? 
Don't you owe me a little bit of that? And Jesus says, go and invite these people who can't give you anything. You have to remember at this time, the people who are poor, crippled, lame, and blind, these are people believed to have committed or their families have been believed to have committed some kind of sin. That there's a reason why God's given them these things, whether it's them or their family. Jesus, of course, challenges the entire notion of this idea. But there's a reason why these people, so they're stigmatized. The, victim, the victims become victimized. And Jesus says, invite these people who can't give you anything. If anything, their kind of reputation might ruin you. That's who you want at your party. You see, I think for us, Jesus isn't, well, I should say it this way. We ask the question, who's going to be there? Hey, who's going to be there? Is it worth my time? Should I go to this thing? And Jesus asks an entirely different question. Who didn't get invited? Who didn't get included? Look, I can see all the important people are here, but who, who got skipped? Who are the people that otherwise always get excluded, that don't get invited, that somehow either from the religious community or from the social community or both all together, they somehow always get excluded? What is the responsibility of those? Who's taking care of those people, Jesus asks. Who didn't get invited? Jesus completely redefines the nature of a party. Now, here's what I want to tell you, too. Some of you, when you hear the idea of love where you live, you get the idea that we're supposed to have huge, awesome parties every week. And some of you do that, and you have great success with those things. I've seen pictures of some of those on social media. They're super fun. In fact, I would say that the, our, our party we're having, you know, next Friday at the, at the school at Viejo is going to be one of the great parties we do. It's a great community party. Yes, woo. But some of you are like, but hey, hang on a second. I'm an introvert. You know, I might be married to an extrovert who loves and gets energized by being around a ton of people, but I'm an introvert. I don't know how to throw a big party. I don't know how to throw banquets. I don't know how to do that stuff. And if I do, it's, it's completely unnerving for me. Okay, I'm going to ask the introverts to do a thing they never want to do. If you're an introvert, will you raise your hand? I know. Everybody who's an extrovert, swarm them right now. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'm an introvert. Most of the introverts in the room didn't raise their hands because they're afraid of what's going to happen next. They don't want to draw any attention to themselves. Okay. <laughs> We're going to form an introvert choir right now. Come on forward and no, just come. <laughs> I'm an introvert. People always are surprised when I say that because they're like, yeah, but you get in front of people. Yes, but every time I do this and anytime I'm around a lot of people, I get exhausted. People who are extroverted get energized by being around a lot of people. People who are introverted get exhausted being around a ton of people. So at the end, of, when, I, when I'm like the end of service, like I'm, you know, at the door or whatever, after everybody's gone, I go home and I immediately, like, I got shot by the tranquilizer dart coma. Just, like, I just have, kids are like, what happened to dad? I don't, I don't know. He's just, I mean, I just, I'm out. I, I have no energy left. So I get what you're thinking. When I start talking about this idea, there's a party mentality. Jesus is hosting a party. Jeff, I know you're going, you're going to tell us to throw a party in your neighborhood. Let me redefine what I think a party is in terms of Jesus' understanding for you. Here's a party. Any personal outpouring of mercy and grace for others without expectation, expectation of reciprocation. That's a party. It could happen on an enormous scale, but you could have a huge event with a ton of people and this might never happen. Or it could happen one person at a time in which you go, you have been given some kind of dignity that I cannot possibly fathom by God himself. And so I give to you some kind of attention and I expect nothing in return. That's a party. Any personal outpouring of mercy and grace for others without expectation or reciprocation. Tell me that's not a reason to party. That is a party. And it includes every single person in this room. Because every one of us has longed for this. 
in our lives. Every one of us has hoped we might be given some kind of attention like this without having any pressure to return the favor. And you know people in your life who are longing for this from you. And maybe God has placed you in your community, wherever it might be, such that this might become your party. I have no problem with enormous parties with huge scale. We're going to do that. We're going to have all that stuff. And if you want to do that, great. Just make sure you don't neglect this as part of the party. People who show up under no obligation to repay you. They might have stories that are ugly. They're shameful that they're afraid to talk about. But they're included. See, that's a party. See, the early church adopted this idea in beautiful ways. But it was a pressure nonetheless. The writer of Hebrews, the Hebrews thir- starting in Hebrews 13, just says this. He's addressing the people and he says, yeah, you know, the community of people who belong to Jesus are people who are known to be great at loving each other. And that should continue. He says it this way. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. That is something we have to be known for at a minimum. We have to be people who love each other. That's part of what we do as people who belong to Jesus. But, he's, but he, he, let me just break this down a little bit. The words, loving one another as brothers, brothers and sisters, is one word in Greek. It's one word. See if you recognize this word. Phileo, which means genuine affection for one another, and Adelphoi, which is brothers, says this, Philadelphia, which is the Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So keep on Philadelphia-ing, if that makes sense. Keep on doing that. That's great. That's already been ongoing and should continue. There's no reason why that should ever stop, but there's another piece that I want you to see, he says this. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Now, in the Greek, hospitality to strangers is one word. In fact, in the most literal translations of the Bible into English, it just says, don't forget to show hospitality. But it has to be translated a little bit for us in the English Bible in 21st century America because we don't understand what hospitality is for someone in the ancient Near East. It's actually something like this. Phileo, genuine affection. Xenos, which means stranger. So the word for hospitality is philoxenia, which means genuine affection for strangers. Now again, in, your, in the Greek, it's just, one, it's just the word hospitality. There's no need to kind of put hospitality for strangers because what we understand about hospitality is what we all already said. You know, it's a Super Bowl party, whether it's in October or it's actually in February. Either way, it doesn't matter. But whatever it is, we know what a party looks like and we include the people we like. So the English translation of the Bible has to say, show hospitality to strangers. Now some of you are like, I went to elementary school and they did a thing where we're, we talked about stranger danger. And the, I know we're not supposed to talk to strangers and huh, I'm out. <laughs> that, I remember fifth grade and they told us not to and I never have. Okay, way to follow rules. Here's a new one. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Remember what our definition of a party is. And remember that there's a difference between hospitality and friendship. If you're with us a couple weeks ago, we talked about friendship being the kind of relationships that hold you up. Friendship is the kind of thing where you hold other people up. But the gateway to all those friendships has always been and will always be hospitality. You once didn't know someone and now you do. And you found out that they might have a different relationship with you. What is being talked about here, what's being told to the church by the writer of Hebrews is this show a kind of partying expectation, a joy for each other, an attentiveness to the needs of other people without expecting anything else. And don't just include the people you already know, 
somehow build a bridge to those people you don't yet know. So, Philoxenia. Oops, that's going too far. So, brand new technology. Trying. Stay with me. Now, there's some implications for what this means. Here's what this looks like. The early church often would do this. The Apostle Paul writes this, and what he says is this. By identifying that the people who belong to Jesus are people who have experienced what it is to be far away from God, there is a way in which it translates into their, old, their normal lives to other people that are far away from them. Here's what it looks like. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and the foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Let me summarize what that means. The letter to the church in Ephesus is written to a bunch of people who are not people who have any kind of relationship with like Abraham. These aren't people who have a Jewish background. That's not it at all. Instead, these aren't Jews. So what he's saying is all these people who weren't part of God's promise, these blessed people we talked about last week, he said, well, no, no, no. Now you're a part of that. You get to share in all of that. You were far away from him and now you're included in this same blessing. And you were without hope in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In other words, we have a relationship or a friendship with Christ because we were shown hospitality by Christ. We who were once far away, we were once the Xenos. We were once the people who were far away from. God showed to us his grace and mercy in the person of Jesus and brought us close to him. And some of you are like, yeah, I get this idea, Jeff. I'm tracking, I'm tracking, but there's a problem here. Hospitality is so hard. This idea you're talking about, this idea, this definition of a party, it's so hard. I would say the hospitality comes at a cost, most definitely, especially if you're an introvert and you're not sure about new people, you don't know what they might do to you, you don't know how to, t- you know, I get it, I'm, I'm with you. There is a cost to bring us to Jesus, to bring us to God. It is the blood of his own sacrifice. God gives his own son that we who were far from him might be somehow included in relationship with him and not have any capacity to repay it in any way. And yes, it was uncomfortable, but it was worth it. We are all outsiders from God, but we're brought into relationship through Jesus, and the cost of that hospitality was Jesus' own blood. And that is a reason to celebrate. We live in a world which tells people all the time, you do not cut it. You will not live up. You cannot make it unless you buy our product or you give up some kind of comp. You compromise in some way on some other kind of capacity or you give up too much stuff. You do not cut it. You're not worth enough. And the reason why we have reason to party is the reason why we have reason for joy or celebration is because God has brought us to himself through his own means by a way we, by a way we can never repay. So we go, joy. We get a chance to have joy. It doesn't mean everything's perfect. I heard someone say once that we have a moral obligation to joy. What moral obligation to joy? Doesn't mean everything's perfect. Doesn't mean that we always experience everything's just wonderful celebration, but that there's something about what God is doing that's transcending just sort of the circumstances of our life that enables us to go, God has brought me close. I was far and he brought me close through his own power. That's a reason to celebrate. There is no greater joy than being called a child of God when nobody else wanted us and no one else would take us. He says, I want you. You know, I think, um, said differently, without joy, we're not, I think people look at us and go, that's a poor follower of Jesus. Or they say Jesus is no one to follow. 
If there's, no, if there's no clear sense of joy of God breaking through, then either I'm a poor follower of Jesus or Jesus is someone who can't really change my life because there's too, he, Jesus is no one to follow. And generally what people say is when they see people who belong to Jesus, who do not have joy, they say that about Jesus. He's not one to follow. We have an obligation to joy. That's our story. It's about great parties. We get to throw great parties of all scales. You want to love where you live? Party. <laughs> Throw great parties. They could be of all different sizes and scale, but they have to be intentional, and they have to be on purpose. They have to be something you do. The church, the church, the early, the early people who gathered who belonged to Jesus are people who, who understood what it meant to be, to be people who are hospitable, and they understood what it meant to be people who are outsiders. Here's what it says. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Meaning all these people, the church is not a building. The church is the people who belong to God. And what what he's saying here is, all of these people were outsiders. And the church is built on a bunch of people who don't belong anywhere else. The misfits, the blind, the crippled, the lame. People who cannot repay. Continuing on. In him, the whole building, that's the church, the people who belong to Jesus, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The passage goes on to talk about walls being broken down. Literally, like people who were once divided are now unified in Christ. This is what happens when people are shown hospitality. When the people of Jesus show hospitality to those around them, people get 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 to understand what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And that is a reason for joy. Now, whatever there's joy is a reason for party. I told you the definition that I'm working with for what it means to party. This individual relationship, this giving, this personal giving of, of attention, of grace and mercy to someone who could, who could never pay you back. That's a party. It's a reason for a party. Do you remember when you were, uh, either you've hosted a party, or when you were a kid you went to a party, and the party favor you got from someone was better than the gift you brought? Like they were, they had a killer party and you brought like, you know, you, I remember one time, this is the dumbest thing I ever did. I, I remember I brought a party, I brought a, um, like I, I was a kid, I was, I had, I had allergies as a kid and I, I was reading a whole series of books on dogs. I always wanted a dog, but I couldn't have one. And so I read like 15 books on dogs. Like a guy, like a, you know, some, a boy and his dog was basically the whole story every time. Same thing. You know, it's the same kind of stuff. I, you know, all that stuff. And the last book in the series, I just, I gave to my friend at first birth. I went and bought the book with my own money and gave him, which... I was like, it was probably like sixth grade. Talk about the world's worst gift. Everyone's giving him all these cool things. Nerf everything and like all this stuff. And then it's like, oh, McGuire gave me a book about a dog. Thank you so much. And then I got, so it's like the worst gift ever. And then you get like the, the little goodie bag, the parting favor, party favor stuff. It's full of all kinds of awesome candy I wasn't allowed to have. It's got a squirt gun in there. It's got one of those things they used to get in the cereal that would like, you remember you throw it on the wall and it would stick there. You remember that stuff that would stick? Oh, this is so cool. And I'm like, I got him a dumb book. I'm the worst. Now, here's what I want you to know. I think there's a party favor because one of the things I want you to understand is that the way God describes his kingdom, the way Jesus describes his kingdom over and over again, one of the, one of the pictures he uses, which is in the rest of Luke 14 actually, is a picture of a party, a feast, a wedding feast, or a, like some kind of banquet. And he says, it's, it's like this big dinner. 
And in other words, we get to play. It's already happening. We're already invited. We're already there. We get to be a part of it. And we get to hand out party favors. And let me tell you what I think the party favor in God's giant banquet looks like. It looks like this. Ten minutes. It looks like ten minutes. I talked to a guy this week who goes, you know, I'm playing in a basketball league. There's a guy on our team who um, is just not real connected. He's kind of got some pretty poor people skills. In the social world, he's kind of got the... Um, He's kind of crippled and lame, and you know, he kind of doesn't have some of those skills built up. And so he goes, I'm walking out of the, our, our game the other day, and um, I just said to myself, what if I, this is, this is so great. Like he just goes, what if, I, what if I gave him 10 more minutes? Just 10 minutes. You know, because we got all kinds of people living there, but you know, we barely even live in our neighborhoods anymore. We live at work, and we live at the soccer field, we live at the, you know, we live at the gymnasium, we live at the like actual, like the gym gym, like, you know, whatever it is. We live in all these, we live at the park, we live wherever it is. But he goes, what if I just gave 10 more minutes? So he goes back and talks to this guy. He says, I started asking him about his life. I showed genuine curiosity about his story. And he goes, this guy lit up. It was as if nobody had ever extended to him that kind of attention. And in that moment, as I'm listening to him talk, I go, you, that's a party. He goes, I don't know if it's going to take 10 minutes, but I'm going to give him 10 minutes of my time and I'll see what happens. The guy started opening up and talking about things. You know, my, my buddy started asking him, like, well, so you know, who lives at your house? Are you married? Do you have kids? You got, you know, where do you work? What do you do? What's going on? And the guy just started telling him stuff. This is a person probably for whom, as he began to say, he doesn't get any of this kind of attention. What does it look like for you? wherever you might live, whether that is at your actual house in your own neighborhood, or whether it's at work, or it's at school, or it's in whatever class you're in, or whatever else it might be, whatever park you're around, whatever gym you go to that you go, I got 10 extra minutes. I don't have more than that, but I got 10 minutes to give some kind of attention to some people that they would not otherwise have. That is a party favor, and that is a party. What does it look like to give 10 minutes of curious, full attention to someone else? Now, one last thing. There's a great big party that will happen um, not only next week on the 24th, which will be really fun, and you're all going to be there. It'll be awesome. But the other thing is, there's another party that happens at the end of the month, Halloween. I want to talk to you about Halloween. Now, uh, there's a study done not too long ago. These guys in this, I think it was in Denver, they asked their mayor, churches, asked their mayor. They said, hey, mayor, what's the thing that would help the city the most? That what can we do? We're, we're a bunch of churches. What should we do? The mayor says this. Here's what I want you to do. Be awesome neighbors. They were like, what? He said, be awesome neighbors. He goes, the thing that transforms a city is great neighborhoods. And great neighborhoods are made by great neighbors. And he goes, he goes, I gotta be honest with you guys. The church has not always been great neighbors. The church has been people who kind of hide out from each other. I hide out from the other people and they kind of, you know, they don't really do that well. Because he goes, when people are great neighbors, you know, you have uh, housing values go up crime goes down, teen pregnancies go down, the general well-being of the community actually is uplifted. He goes, this is like, this is the way in which communities flourish. So he looked at these guys and goes, what do you want to do? They go, we're going to try and figure out how to be great neighbors. Now, Halloween has a stigma attached to it, which I I don't think is inappropriate, but it's kind of got this evil shroud around it, and I get that. And some of you have done your research, you know about these things, some of you have sent me letters talking about wanting me to talk about how we should never be a part of Halloween, I, I get it. But here's what I want you to to know. Halloween is the, it is like 
you know, however, and I get it, you might, have a, you might have some personal conviction about how you're supposed to handle Halloween, I get that, but let me just tell you how I think about it. Halloween is one of these really unique opportunities. It's probably the only time when everybody in the neighborhood is all out and talking to each other. You will walk around or people will walk around and meet you that live in your neighborhood and have lived there for you, so you only talk to them on Halloween. And I just want you to understand, it's time for us to maybe consider what it might look like to redeem this for some other purpose, like this kind of party we're talking about. You with me? That maybe there's something we go, there's people I'm going to meet that I would never otherwise meet. Maybe what you do is you go, I'm going to give out the best candy. You know, don't give candy attached to a Bible. Like, oh, hi. (laughs) Open it up to something about evil or something. Did you see that? Enjoy your Snickers. It'll be your last one ever. You know, <laughs> maybe what you do is you give out the best candy. You put out coffee for those parents who know what's coming because they're going to be up late because those kids are going to hit a sugar high and they're going to try and tear each other's arms off in about 20 minutes. And you're going to go, you need, a little, you need a little coffee for that? Bring out a pot of coffee for parents. Figure out how in such a way you might engage a community that might be helpful to them, that might put you in the place to being someone who could pay attention to someone else down the road. To give to them this gift of 10 minutes that you don't yet have access to. What does it look like for you to throw a party one person at a time that says, I'm going to give you my attention. I'm going to extend to you mercy and grace and expect nothing back from you. And I get some of you are still going, I'm not doing Halloween. Okay. For the, for the rest of us. What does it look like to turn that into a great moment of redemption for the church? All right? All right. Let's pray together. We're going to have time to respond together and then I'll close this out in a little bit. So let's Let's pray and then we'll sing. Jesus, you are um, gracious to us. You've shown us mercy. You've shown us your, your peace and you give to us joy. Father, we are people who have messed up greatly in our lives. We have things we're not proud of, things that we feel ashamed of. And yet somehow you still come after us, that your love is all around us, that you desire us, that you chase after us. Jesus, might we have that, at least even a slice of that same kind of conviction about getting after people who are in our midst? Father, might we embrace the idea of mercy and grace for other people without expecting anything in return and so doing, create an opportunity for joy for a party? Lord, as we sing, would you hear our prayers? Would they, would they be the, the, the true expression of our hearts set to music? People who need you, who welcome your grace in our lives and who, who Jesus I guess, frankly, need a little help in extending that same grace to the people around us. Lord, hear us. Lord, I know there are people in here who will need prayer, who will want to come forward and receive prayer, write it down on the prayer wall. Might you meet them and welcome them, that there is no, no distance you can run without being caught by God's love. And so, Father, would you bring them forward in your love to come and maybe pray with someone? to connect with you, Jesus. And so, Father, we sing these words with great conviction and joy. Amen.